Welcome to Authors Matters, a podcast from the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society. I'm Caroline Sanderson, and I'm a writer and books journalist. In this episode of Authors Matters, we talk to Gavin Francis. Gavin is a doctor and a writer. His books include Adventures in Human Being, which won the Soltaire Nonfiction Book of the Year, and Empire Antarctica, which won the Scottish Book of the Year Award. He lives and practices medicine in Edinburgh, where he's a member of the Royal College of Emergency Medicine and a fellow of the Royal College of General Practitioners. At the height of the COVID-19 crisis, he wrote Intensive Care, A GP, A Community and a Pandemic, a deeply personal account of nine months spent caring for a society in crisis. And appropriately, given that so many are still struggling with the effects of the pandemic, his latest book is called Recovery, The Lost Art of Convalescence. So welcome to Authors Matters, Gavin. Many writers we interview on the podcast have more than one job for reasons of gluing together a living. Uh, but I sense something more vocational at work in terms of your combination of um, jobs. Did you always see yourself combining medicine with writing? Oh, thank you, Caroline. Well, not really. Essentially, I was a junior doctor uh, for the first oh, three or four years after qualifying in medicine, working very long hours, getting all my specialty exams, um, being far too busy to write. and. Um, I always was a great reader. I was uh, somebody who read voraciously and omnivorously all kinds of things. And um, and it was always my hope that if I ever had the chance to step off the treadmill, I would try and write the book that I would most want to read. And um, that didn't happen for, for many years. It wasn't until I was working as a medical officer in Antarctica, I actually had the time to begin writing. So So in short, no, I didn't think that it was even a possibility really until it began my space began to open up in my life to allow me to do it so I feel as if these two professions one mainly solitary and the other working with a, a huge range of different people might complement one another rather well so mm. do you want to talk a bit about the balance between those things and to what extent they I suppose fuel one another yeah, of course. So I am a GP. Um, I have a practice where I'm a partner, where I work half the week. And um, and I do little bits of local work, just short stints in other kinds of roles. Just because part of the reason I'm a GP is I love variety, diversity. I get bored very easily. I like chopping and changing who I see, what I do. And so I work half the week in that practice in the city centre of Edinburgh. And then I do a little bit of work for the uh, Edinburgh homeless practice and I do a little bit of work as a locum on the Scottish islands and then I do some weekend work once or twice a month um, covering a kind of much bigger area you know we go out in the car and drive around the place doing home visits for people and so that is the backbone of my medical work but it means that Monday to Friday half the week I'm at home um, I've got young kids and when they're in school is when I write so um yeah, I, I find that the two are marvellously complementary because I'll have a sort of really hard, busy day in the clinic, 10 hours seeing 30 or 40 people. Sometimes it's very stressful, very emotionally challenging, taxing, um, hectic, really. And then I'll have a day as soon as I get the kids packed off to school, which is very peaceful, where I sit in calm, quiet and recollect what 
I am trying to write about, often travel books or medical books, and try and write the most um, succinct and eloquent sentence I can to describe an experience. And it's it's a, a marvellous kind of antidote, really, to the hectic nature of the clinic. And then following a day like that, I go back to the clinic. And so the two swing back and forwards, really, um, between this sort of hectic immersion and the complexity and the plurality of life and then this sort of calm recollection and tranquility. <laughs> so yeah. it's nice to swing back and forward, yeah. Yeah, I feel as if um, you, of, of, of all people, I, I'm thinking about your book, Island Dreams, which I, I really loved, which is essentially a travel book about islands. And it sort of encapsulates the way that many of us, um, but perhaps writers more than most, are really torn between this need to be alone and the need to be in the world, because that's mostly where we get our ideas. Um, mm. I feel it's even more so for you, in a way. Yeah, well, I just, that was an examination of this tension I felt all my life between a love of um, busy places and a love of places that are far more isolated and um, separated from outside influence. And I guess that's what I keep doing that now with my occasional locums in the Scottish Islands. So I still have all the hustle bustle of my city centre work, but then every so often I remind myself what it was like for example to do that job in Antarctica where I've got a very small number of people I'm on call all the time but um, I have far less in the way of demands made immediately upon my time and I really like that way of practicing medicine you know practicing medicine in the city center it's great um, for for so many reasons but sometimes it feels like you're always in such a rush and when you practice medicine on a small island with a much smaller population it allows you to give a lot more time to your patients you have this sort of wonderful rhythm and I, and I like to keep experiencing both really it sounds as if you're quite protective of the time that you have to write um uh, not surprisingly I, re- I read in an interview that you keep your screen time quite corralled um and I wonder mm. <laughs> how you uh, how you manage that and also how useful social media is to you as a writer because there's a lot of discussion among writers as to what purpose it serves. Yeah, I try not to, I try to keep my screen time on my phone anyway down to about an hour a day. When it goes much over an hour a day, I get it gives me a wee warning and I think, oh, I better be a bit more careful. And I'm just not very good at social media. <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> what it's for. I have to tell you, um, I, I think it's, it's really good for sharing th- things that are funny. It's really good for sharing things that make you angry and indignant. It's really good for sharing things that are deeply personal and um, sort of almost heartbreaking. And I'm not sure I am using it for any of those particular reasons. I kind of use um, Twitter and Instagram as like a easily updatable little notice board of what I'm doing, what I'm writing, what I'm reading, what um, articles I've I've written things, I've reviewed books I've found interesting, events that I think are going to be really good. Um, And it's probably not the best use for Twitter, but it's the best use I've found for it. In terms of being corralled, yeah, I try to keep that time down. And I'm just quite, I don't know, it's not really for me to say, but I suppose in comparison with other people, I must be quite disciplined because I just have these couple of days a week to write. And um, once I get the kids off to school, I don't bother with the dishes in the sink or any of that. I just go straight to my desk and get on with it and worry about uh, tidying up breakfast things later. (laughs) (laughs) I think think a lot of us do that. (laughs) When I was thinking I was going to interview you, um, I was thinking a writer's relationship with our physical body is quite an interesting 
thing, isn't it? I mean, we, we spend so much time in our heads or, you know, working our brains that I, I, I started to think that maybe we of all people need to remind ourselves of our corpo reality. I think that's a word, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and yet there's a huge physical effort acquired by the brain. You know, the brain takes up a lot of our, of our calories and our energy mm-hmm. and, uh, doesn't it? So, um, I suppose it's the old concept of mens sana and corpore sano. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mm-hmm. do Latin, but I think that's about right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I know what you mean. So, that's another reason I think that this rhythm suits me in that I've got the day where I have to be out on my bike. Uh, you know, it's uh, 12 and a half miles from my house to my clinic. So, I do a lot of pedaling those days I'm in clinic and then I do all my home visits on a push bike. And then the days when I'm at home, yeah, I don't do so much in the way of exercise, I'm afraid. Try and get up regularly and walk around, but that's about it. And so that that rhythm seems to suit me too. And um, a lot of people, I don't know how you are, Caroline, but I get my best ideas for what I'm writing while I'm pedaling or walking, not when I'm sitting at the desk. And when I'm sitting at the desk is when I try and put those ideas into practice, but Actually, they come much more easily when I'm doing something else. And um, I think there's something to do with the creative process there, something to do with parallel processing. You know, when I'm when I'm writing a book, I'm sort of deep in it. It's kind of a bit like a kind of love affair. You know, you're kind of in love with this idea and you want to you want to get to your desk to sit with it and you want to think about it. But when you're doing everything else in your life, it's also sort of trundling along in the background in your subconscious and I think that's why when we we make time and space to get out in the world to walk to cycle to do whatever that those ideas are percolating in the background and they start to to come to the surface that's mm-hmm. how it works for me anyway yeah yeah if I could I just sit and stare at my computer for hour after hour it wouldn't work but I think there's something about I, I mean certainly I have that when when running I'm a very very slow runner but um somehow that just it, it, my my brain works well when my when my mm. sort of physical body is working as well, and, and it really, really chimes with me what you're saying. And I think there is some science behind how the you know your physical workout complements what what how well the brain's working. Yeah, definitely. And um, I know a lot of people fuel their writing sessions with huge amounts of caffeine. But um, that wouldn't work for me at all. <laughs> I'd just get really agitated and jumpy and I uh, wouldn't come up with anything. So, yes. yeah, it definitely works for me to keep yes. a much healthier outlook. So what would you say the things are that have helped you along the way as a writer? It could be certain people. I think for some writers, they think at the moment when they did a course or they won an award. Are there things that have mm. that have really helped spur you on? The love of the written word that my parents gave me is the first thing because being a sort of kid that loved libraries and spent all their time reading, that for me is the absolute foundation of being a writer is loving reading. So when you when you sit down to write, you're just trying to, to recreate something that would most appeal to you as a reader. Um, so without a doubt, that's how where it all begins. But then in my actual careers, my first book, I didn't have an agent. I just... Um, I just drafted and redrafted this book and t- and then I just sent it out to 40 publishers <laughs> the first 5,000 words and one of them published it so uh, I didn't have an agent but then I got an agent my wonderful agent Jenny Brown and uh, Jenny has been an amazing help to me just because she knows the whole business side of publishing so well she's been in it so long and she um, 
It's just f a fountain of wonderful advice, actually, because she's seen what works in publishing and what doesn't. And so when she became my agent just before Empire Antarctica, that was a massive help. And then I've always found it really important to have a good, strong relationship with my editors. For my first book, True North, that was a, a chap called Sean Costello. Sean is a wonderful editor. Now still does a lot of copy editing. Then I had Parissa Ebrahimi at Chateau for Empire Antarctica. Parissa still looks after the poetry list for Chateau, and she's she's just an amazing editor. You know, we just had back and forward too many many times. Adventures in Human Being uh, was with uh, Welcome and Profile. So I had three editors then. I had Andrew Franklin, um, Kirthi Topiwala, and Cecily Gayford. All three of them coming in, putting in their tuppence worth, and that was really helpful for me. And so, and then with Island Dreams, it's Francis Bickmore at Canongate, who's again just a wonderful editor. So I've been so lucky with my editors, and all of my editors have been really open to having a kind of real meeting of minds over what would work best for each of these books. That's been a, a great fortune. My my writing's benefited hugely from doing the kind of shorter um, journalistic kind of pieces, particularly uh, The Guardian, Paul Laity. It's always been was always my editor at The Guardian and um, for the long reads, Claire Longrig. And then for um, really finessing your you're finessing your style to an absolute honed uh, precision, uh, you can't beat the LRB and the New York Review books. So um, uh, the editors that I've had there have been really good. And um, so it's impossible to separate my writing. When I look at my books... I know they're my books, like the ideas in them all started with me, but I also know that they're a, a kind of um, collaborations, really. They're meetings of minds with these other editors that were involved. And, and I find that back and forward, that process, um, really satisfying. Well, it's an odd thing about publishing. You know, I, I was chatting to Helen Dennerly, the sculptor, about this. And, uh, you know, she does these beautiful big... Uh, metal sculptures of animals and I was she was asking me about the writing process and I was explaining about my relationship with various editors and she sort of was like well that would drive me crazy somebody telling you that they don't like what you've done and she said as a sculptor she wouldn't put up with it somebody coming and telling her how to do her job differently but writing's so different it's um it's worth engaging with that and you make something much much better as a result I think no, that's so interesting uh, that you, I, I mean, everybody needs an editor, don't they, to some extent, I think. And uh, you really welcome that dialogue or even trialogue or whatever it happens yeah, yeah. to be. Yeah. So being a doctor is a compassionate and empathetic profession. And I guess we could say that at its best, writing is too. Um, I read something in a piece just this morning where it was an extract from Kazuo Ishiguro's Nobel prize-winning speech where he said that writing was about one person saying to another this is how it feels to me can you understand that is this how it feels to you um I suppose I, I mean it's very difficult in one way to compare the frontline job of of a doctor particularly over the last couple of years with being a writer but I suppose in both jobs you do have to put yourselves in the shoes of others and and try and experience life as they do yeah very much i'm sure that they're um from that point of view they're really similar endeavors as human beings when we try and reach out to others and imagine ourselves in someone else's experience i think that um as a writer what you're trying to do is portray an experience that somebody can inhabit for 
not just for entertainment, which is sometimes the sole purpose, but also for a kind of widening of your humanitarianism or a widening of your compassion or widening of your frame of reference or whatever about what it means to be human, which can be an incredible gift for somebody. And the wonderful thing about writing, whether it's reading or writing, the wonderful thing about literature, I should say, is that there's none of this time pressure that we are sort of, we live under the cosh of, we're completely tyrannized by in medicine. What I love about the contrast between my medical job when I do that and writing is that there's all the time in the world. You know, you watch a film, for example, you're completely at the mercy of the director who is dictating the pace at which you have to take in this experience. But when you're reading a book, you just take it in at your own. You know, you can read the same page or the same poem four or five times and and think about it from different angles and you've got all the time in the world. And the same is true when you come to write something. I can spend a whole day on a page of prose and make sure it's saying exactly what I want it to say. Whereas, obviously, as a GP, I'm trying to compress those kinds of endeavours into 10-minute, 15-minute appointments, which is uh, far from easy. But it's also satisfying, too, in a different way. Gavin, thanks so much for giving us an insight into your, into your dual career. We aim to reflect the views of a wide variety of authors on our podcast, but their views are, of course, their own. Check out more episodes of Authors Matters wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and please join us next time. Goodbye.